With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What are you talking about? This conversation can serve purpose. WBZ, you are Jay talking. We're live midnight to five. You know, we haven't really talked much about Medicare for all. And the reason we haven't is because I'm not an expert and because it's a, a subject that I figured you ought to have more than one point of view on. And it's difficult to get more than one point of view at the same time late at night far away. So we're very fortunate to finally we have Dr. Gordon Gordy Schiff who is a general internist and quality safety director for Harvard Medical School, Center for Primary Care, Associate Director of Brigham and Women's Center for Patient Safety and Research and Practice, and Associate Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. And we have Dan Delaney, founder and principal of the Delaney Policy Group, former Chief of Staff of the House of Public, uh, the House Public Health Committee, and former DPH legislat Legislative Government Affairs Director and current Massachusetts healthcare lobbyist. I'll just go through all those one time. Thanks, folks, for coming in. I, uh, as, you, as you heard me say prior, I don't know what to think on Medicare for all. Seems like a good thing, but then I hear people from think tanks say things that give me pause. I just don't know what to think. So I'm here to gather information. And folks listening at home, same for you. Uh, I bet you you really don't know what to think. You think you might know what to think because you identify as a person on the right or left, and you kind of want to side with your team, but I'm guessing you need more facts to really decide, so that's kind of why we're here. So let me begin by, you know, 101, how do you define, Gordy, we'll start with you, if I may, it says Gordy in parentheses here, define Medicare for all. What is it? Yeah, M Medicare for all is the, uh, the expression of single-payer health care reform, really, it would really be a way of of transforming our healthcare system into looking more like the healthcare systems in the rest of the world. As you know, the United States is the only country that does not have some sort of you know, major country universal healthcare insurance. And this is a way of covering everybody. As you know, Obamacare was an effort to expand coverage. We had 49 million people uninsured. We got 20 additional million people uninsured. So we, so we covered 20 and we have 29 million people still uninsured. And as, as people know, Obamacare is unraveling. It's under attack. Uh, it's growing numbers of uninsured. So this idea of when people get sick and they don't have insurance or they go bankrupt, which this is the leading cause of bankruptcy in this country, uh, health care and medical bills, 
Uh, that we shouldn't just have automatically when somebody is born, you know, the eligibility criteria is being born and the disenrollment criteria is dying. Uh, this is universal coverage for everybody in this country. It's something that uh, I think everybody who's sick would like that peace of mind who's ever been sick. And uh, just it's very straightforward. And this is actually a plan to deliver on that uh, peace of mind that people really need and coverage when they're sick. Okay, Dan, how about yourself? Well, I mean, I think I think the goal is 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 excellent and laudable. I, my concern and and my my thinking when people talk about a single player plan or, or or Medicare for all is is how do we go about implementing it in a way that doesn't have our current system unravel and that is actually uh, can be well executed by by the government. I I approach this. Problem as a or as an issue, I guess, as a, as a former regulator um, and and a, and a policy person, and I'm just skeptical um, that this is something that that we can transition to effectively without having um, lots of people harmed and 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 left out during the time period of when we get from where we are now to an eventual single payer system. So, is, are you saying that Medicare Medicare for all? is a bad thing or simply the process of getting to it is a painful thing i i feel in my heart that it's it's a place that we can't get to and that in trying to sort of swallow the whole elephant at once we're not going to be able to uh to get it done and we'll lose the gains that we've made through the affordable care act and obamacare while we're trying to chase um this broader one-size-fits-all. Okay, uh, I do have specific questions here, but a lot of times I'll just respond to what you say. Do we really need to swallow the whole elephant at once? Do you need to have Medicare for all in one whack? Why can't you, you know, do uh, 50 to 65 or 55 to 65 and see how that goes and then move it on down? Is that problematic in some way, Dan? I mean, I, I don't, that's not my understanding of what, the sort of single payer approach was if what we wanted to do is is keep our sort of multi-level system where we have private plans and plans for for the poor under Medicaid and plans for the older under under Medicare and we want to um, stretch the boundaries on some of those I think that is fine but but I think that I'm I'm just yeah. honestly skeptical that we can get to kind of a, a, a one-stop shop given how much diversity we have in the, in the country and and how many different approaches and frankly cultures there are within the US around health so why would the uh, cultures why would the diversity matter well i mean d diversity in the sense of big states small states rural states urban urban states trying to get a health healthcare system that is able to to work nimbly in all those different kind of factors. I find it's 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 a lot to bite off. Doctor Schiff. Well, let's just start with the system currently is unraveling. Um, there's really a lot of people who are um, suffering uh, both uh, financially and not having access. There's statistics about people who uh, don't seek care. There's people who can't afford their medicine. There's people who are harmed. So this idea about we have a perfectly functioning system and anything we do to accept, uh, upset the balance is, is really quite 
uh, contrary to the facts of what's what's happening, and I think your listeners can probably give you very vivid stories. Twenty percent of people who have cancer uh, are, are have uh, face bankruptcy. This is this is these are these are statistics. The uh, pe- people uh, um, are, are are really paying. They they spend enormous amount of hours fighting with insurance companies, trying to get coverage, fi- trying to get access, trying to find doctors in their network. Uh, the latest thing, if you follow the news from Washington, is something called surprise billing, and if uh, your uh, you or your listeners, it means you go to a hospital that's in network. There's this whole in network, out network, which, by the way, single payer eliminates all this. There's no such thing as in network. It's everybody is is able to go anywhere they want. This is the way it works in Canada and other countries. Uh, so um, the uh, uh, surprise billing is you go to a hospital that's in network, and then you are taken care of. You think it's being covered by your insurance, and you find out well. The emergency room was covered, but the anesthesiologist and the pathologist isn't covered, and you have to pay those costs largely out of your pocket. Uh, so you know you, there's an effort to to um, paper over, I guess, the, those symptoms of the current system. But I, I think these are all things. Pre-existing conditions is another thing that, for uh, historically, has been a major problem. I think this is why people were very um, keen on having the Obama plan, even though it, it was filled with blemishes and complexity. And it is actually a Republican plan. Ironically, it originated the state from Romney and the Heritage Foundation put that plan forward. You know, Obama so desperately wanted to have a bipartisan bill. But um, the uh, uh, it, it, the thing that drove the Obama plan, one of this is trying to get rid of this problem of pre-existing conditions. But it's really hard to do if you don't put everybody in a large risk pool. So that that's a uh, I think this idea about upsetting a perfectly functioning system that is is really uh, different. And just one last point: um, many health policy things we could talk about are sort of the great unknown. What's going to be? How would it look? Um, you know, we have our neighbors to the north have th- this very system or something similar to this. Uh, it's 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 not an unknown. It's functioning. Uh, we have Medicare, which is a system that's been functioning. It has a, has a certain amount of problems, but th- these are not great unknowns. These are popular systems that work well, uh, certainly better than our current private health insurance system is working at the moment. So, Dan, you're not a fan of Medicare for All. Are you pleased with what we have now with the ACA? Well, I I would say I would, not, I would never argue with anyone that it's a a perfectly functioning healthcare system. I I think we have what we have in, in Massachusetts as, as Massachusetts's um, precursor to the ACA. I think that, that, works, that works very well. Um, I, I, my my hang-up and, and, and my, my concern is, is not that it's perfect now and we don't want to upset the apple cart, but, but most of the time when I hear folks talk about Medicare for All or a single-player plan, um, they only talk about the the end game. The end. If if I thought we could get there, I would sign on in a minute. What I have a problem with, and I've seen this happen in other policy areas, is how how do we get from private plans, a mix of private and public, and Medicare and Medicaid plans to Medicare for all? Do we outlaw private plans starting day you know one or day one thousand? Do we um, do we have the same copay structures and coinsurance structures under, under under Medicare that that we do across the board, depending regardless of whether you're single, healthy, and young, or you're 
have a, a, a family and you need broader coverage or you're older and you're, you're burning more money on the, on the prescription drug ends, which is already one of the things that we need to tweak around, around Medicare. Um, so to me, it's, it's, it's really an implementation question. I'm not a sort of private sector ideologue, but, but I, I've, seen, I've seen really good policy ideas stumble in the implementation phase. Okay. It sounds like you're saying that the concept itself is, is okay. It's the implementation and getting there. I, th I think I think the the goal of having everyone in the country have affordable, accessible access to quality health care is a is a wonderful goal. I just don't think that Medicare for all gets us there. And okay, Doctor Schiff, you, uh, Dan raised some questions. Do you have answers to those questions? Yeah. Um, first of all, there is a an actual plan that was introduced in Congress by uh, Representative Jayapal from Washington. So we're in a, actually a new situation. This is a new ball game in terms of politically what's happening with single payer. There's 125 sponsors to this. This is the majority of Democrats in the House uh, who are the majority party. Um, and one would like to think there'll be more and even Republicans signing on. The Republicans constituency, by the way, does support single payer. 42% of Republicans in some polls and you know 80% of Democrats. Um, uh, so there, there is a, a, a fairly uh, well-outlined plan. I wouldn't say it's a detailed plan or, or one that's going to be uh, not changed. Um, so, you know, I'm glad we agree that we have the same goal. We want to get to the same place. So we probably need people with your kind of expertise to help us get from here to there. And uh, uh, unfortunately, a, a lot of people who are speaking against single-payer um, our really vested interests who really, you know, private insurance companies are going to resist this. We're not going to be able to entice them or bribe them or, or, or get them to compromise. It really, uh, they have tremendous financial stakes in the current system. In fact, in the Obama plan, the private health insurers are reaping a fortune off of the, uh, um, some of these plans, the uh, Me Medicare Advantage plans. And uh, unfortunately, that, that money really needs to go to health care, not to uh, profits, not to uh, executive salaries. And one other thing that really is important to mention, which is one of the reasons single payer is a is a go, is the enormous waste and complexity in the current system. Right out of the gate, you're talking about single payer, as if private insurance won't exist at all. Do you, do you speak that way because inevitably private insurance will go away because it will just become too expensive because Medicare for all and Medicare will... will underpay and make it more expensive for the private insurance and they'll just no one will go there anymore and eventually it will be single payer is that what you foresee um or do you foresee a uh, parallel two parallel systems yeah i i foresee uh, a, a relatively uh a timely and smooth transition uh, assuming that the private insurance companies aren't able to throw too many monkey wrenches um in, in order to achieve the savings that we need, and people have estimated something like 25% savings in a single-payer system, and this is because of the complexity and the, the, the administrative costs. Medicare, the administrative cost is 2% per year. In private health insurance, people estimate somewhere 10, 12, 20%, depending on the plans. Um, so if we're gonna sort of keep the old system and, and, and put in a new system, 
you're right. It'll be hard to realize the savings and people will be, be you know, say, why did we do this? We haven't achieved some of the goals here. Um, so I, so I, I think having said that, there's definitely different options as uh, I was mentioning to you during the break. Bernie Sanders plan has a slower transition, several years, uh, people moving in at various ages. But we and I, I'm, I'm part of an organization called Physicians for ha- National Health Program have done analysis of what the financial and the political consequences of various transition uh, strategies. And and really, it probably makes sense to do it just the way we did Medicare. You know, we didn't even have computers back then in the same way. People people were, you know, issued cards. In eight months, they were able to do the transition of everybody from the previous system to this Medicare system, Medicare for all, who were the seniors. So, uh, it, it should be relatively doable if, if we could sort of figure out a way of um, of uh, really uh, – pe- people talk about what are you going to do about the jobs with people who currently work for health insurance, private health insurance, and, and we take I that say, seriously. I, would, I wouldn't. Yeah. I don't care. Well, I think can find well, another we, job. We, we care politically. We care about those people. I think the first thing is that they would all have health insurance, so right. that, that would be nice. That's they nice. lose your job. You don't lose your health insurance for worrying once. About that's kind of like worrying about coal miners, you know, jobs to me. I don't. I don't. I could yeah. get a job in something. It's worrying. It's like worrying about the uh, the people who uh, took care of horses when automobiles came. To me, Dan, any uh, resp- any uh, thoughts on what Doctor Schiff said? And I guess it'd be a good uh, point for you to point out any further downsides that you might see. Well, I mean, one of the things, um, one of the real sort of downsides that I see is. Given Dr. Chess makes a very good point about best in interests like the like the private health plans who are very motivated, very sophisticated politically, and um, very well able to to participate aggressively in sort of the legislative process. We have a um, we have a Democratic Senate, which I'm very happy for. We our Democratic House rather, but we have a Republican Senate and. One of my thoughts is, shouldn't we take this sort of rising um, tide of of energy and, and concern around healthcare and direct it towards sort of preserving the important parts of the ACA that are that are still there and improving the parts that that are broken instead of trying to? Because part of what I what I heard is, in order for the sort of the 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 math of single payer to work, you can't have two systems running running side by side. So I, I feel a little bit like we're back to um, swallowing the elephant whole, or at least you know in, okay. in two bites. So for both of you, you can't have you can't have two systems. It's, it's, you're going to go if you're going to do this at all, you're going to go all the way to Medicare for all. Okay. I mean, currently we have ten systems. We have twenty systems. We have the Children's Health Plan. We have Medicaid. We have private insurance. We have people who are employed. We have transitional uh, coverage when people lose their job. We have a real, we have this high risk pools. If you look at each of them, they're, they're really failing in terms of uh, certainly creating any kind of cohesive system. They're, they're, they're very um, confusing to the average. You know, why should somebody, when they turn 26, be, be in sort of a no man's land in terms of uh, having health coverage? We've just actually been nearby here. The, the uh, delivered the ashes of two mothers 
uh, mothers, the ashes of their kids. They turned 26. They couldn't afford their insulin. They were not on health insurance anymore. And uh, unfortunately, they had what we call you know, diabetic ketoacidosis. They died. This is the kind of thing that shouldn't be happening. Uh, so, yeah, you can have all these patchworks of systems and everybody can be carving out a piece of the action and making some money for themselves, but it just doesn't make sense in terms of uh, making that work for patients and making it okay. user-friendly. So we did establish it would be simplified. You wouldn't have to worry about who's in network and who's not. That's a big deal for me. I got whacked for 500 bucks because I found out that the lab right across the hall from my doctor and associated with that office was not in network and I had to pay 500 bucks. I never would have thought that. Well, you should have known that. You should have been a smarter shopper. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And look around when you have your appendix. Next time, you'll do a better job. Appendicitis. going to happen with the anesthesiologist, anesthesiologist, etc. Will I will I get a bigger bang for my buck? And we were talking about people having this horrible fear, perhaps phobia about more taxes. They say, well, my taxes will go up. And I guess it would be a 6 to 8% increase in payroll tax. But you won't be paying the premium. And Dan Delaney's premium, if I may share, may I share? Share away. 15 grand, 15, 18 grand a year, 1,500 a month, which if we figured it out, if it was a, were a person making 100,000 bucks, that's 15% of their net and much more than the, of their gross and much more than that of their net, which is more than the six to 8%. So it seems like you'd be getting a better deal. Do I have, you'd be paying less money. Am I correct? Both of you? I mean, I think, I think you're, you're, you're correct to say that if most people had zero insurance premium to pay, zero copay, and and in fact it only added up to eight percent of of the tax. I mean, I'm I haven't dug into the numbers, but that's I understand that's what's on tail. But if that was the actual cost, um, then that would that would be fine. The my question would be if my cost only goes up eight percent, so I get this big windfall, but the cost to the federal government goes up 45%. Does that mean we're not getting infrastructure? Does that mean we're not getting, um, you know? No. Health claim? Because so you're saying that the 6 to 8% increase in payroll tax is not going to pay for it. it You'll have to yes. take more from somewhere else. Is that true, Dr. Schiff? Um, no. Let's look at how much administrative cost and, frankly, waste there is in the current system. So if you're $15,000 or $18,000 a year, you're paying, by many people's calculation, close to four to five thousand dollars in administrative costs. So that money that you're paying out of your pocket is not going to doctors or nurses or hospitalization um, or care. Frankly, it's it's going for people sitting at the other end of insurance lines and pushing, you know, denying claims. By the way, and all sorts of other things that don't add uh, anything but waste to the system. So if you look at Canada, for example, uh, th there's, there's at least a four to $5,000 difference in these kind of administrative costs. So 
one of the things that it is a bitter deal. I, I guess there's so many ways that, that it's it should be evident, and I'd like to point it out. We're spending almost 18% of our gross domestic product on health care. Uh, all the other countries, comparable countries, are spending in the range of 10 or 12%. Okay, This extra money that we're spending, and I, I don't think I would claim that instantly overnight we're going to go down from 18% to 10%. In fact, I think the way to think about that is we're generous, generously have a lot of money in this system, and we'll probably be able to give people good health care when we convert. So you're saying that uh, the subsidy the federal government would have to kick in, in addition to the 6 to 8% payroll tax, would be mitigated by the savings and administrative costs. Yeah, and, and, and there will be taxes, and, and okay. part of the idea is to do it in a sort of a graduated way. Right now, uh, poorer people are paying a bigger share out of their pocket than richer people, and uh, you know, I wouldn't presume to guess what your income is, but it seems like that's the way you have a fair health care system. Okay. That's the way they do it in other countries. And by the way, Dan, in addition to your eighteen grand a year, you need to pay copay, deductible, and coinsurance. But I want to make sure you have you know, your time. There must be uh, some op- some cost here. Is it is it in the quality of care? Is that the, uh, problematic? Well, I mean, one, I think that, it doesn't speak one way or another to the quality of care. When, when you talk about health insurance, when I think about health insurance, you're talking about access to care. We don't know whether I'm paying $0 for my insurance coverage or whether I'm paying $1,000 has no necessary relationship to the healthcare system quality, the oversight. I mean, some of these the things that we sort of blithely wave away as administrative are actually important controls so that the system comes together. Like my I'll confess now, I'm a doctor's kid, um, which is probably what kept me out of medical school. But the last thing either of my parents wanted to do was to, you know, be responsible to handle that administrative burden to decide, um, you know, to wrestle with, with formularies and do this and, and do that. And so, so um, some of the costs, just assuming that that it, it works just the way we've been discussing it. Some of the costs of the healthcare system will be saved with administrative savings potentially. But the real drivers of our of our healthcare costs is, you know, pharmaceutical drug costs and and all these other factors, you know, um, overutilization of, of scans and, and this one. There's all kinds of things that are really creating the burden of cost. Okay. Now let's talk about quality of care. Does the quality of care go down? There will be listeners that will call and say, there will be wait times. Dan, will there be wait times? Uh, Will there be uh, folks, will they decide, you know what, we're not going to give you this procedure because you're kind of old. We're not going to give you a new knee because you're, you know, you're 85 and you you don't have that much time. And we have finite finite resources and some younger person is going to get that. Is that something that we have to worry about? And and we're all bearing in mind that you're sort of, against this and so if you don't have a problem with the quality of care and that comes from somebody who's against it we would assume the quality of care is pretty good did i confuse you a little bit i mean i I think i don't have a problem with the quality of care and you're not a big fan of medicare for all then it's then quality of care really probably is okay i mean I, i feel there's there's a bit of a sort of three card monty going on when you talk about access and cost and quality, because those are all separate issues. I'm just asking about right. the quality but, now. But I, I think, yeah. I mean, 
look, I'm lucky enough to live in Massachusetts. I've I've got great doctors. I get I get great quality care. I'm I'm happy with that. I assume um, that the performance and attention of of healthcare providers would not change based on who's who's paying them. Um, but there would have to be the way you there there would have to be some kind of utilization or rationing or something that would come in a single payer, payer system. Now we can decide how long of a wait is is too long. So you say that would be a little bit of a degradation. You there may be a wait. Yeah. You see a potential degrading of our care in terms of potential, uh, perhaps a wait. So, so so let me let me jump in here. I, I'm sorry we're not doing this sort of on a visual media here. Um, but really, I'd urge the viewers, so Commonwealth Fund, which is kind of a, a neutral group, they actually have not been a big advocate of single payer, frankly. They go in 11 different nations and survey the quality of care. And the United States is 11 out of 11. Um, if you want to just Google Commonwealth Fund and mirror, mirror on the wall, it, it stands for who's got the worst health care quality of them all, unfortunately. Um, you know, they look at access, coordination of care, again, cost-related problems and efficiency they, they include in here. You know, they're comparing Switzerland and the UK and Netherlands. Um, why do these other systems? So people call this the great paradox. How could we be the most expensive system with the worst access and the lowest quality? It used to be, well, we're doing all this to get the best quality, but th this really can no longer be defended as the best quality. Um, so what, what, what I would argue, and now I'm going to be putting on a different hat, as, as a primary care physician. Most of these countries, one of the ways that they achieve better care, better access, better cost, is they, they're really very centered in primary care, or much more than we are. Um, people have longitudinal relationships with their primary care doctors. Uh, people have uh, a, a, or an, an organized system that, that where they you know, create the financial structures to encourage more doctors to go into primary care. We're trying to do a little bit of this under Obamacare. So we need a primary care-based system. Uh, you talk about rationing. Uh, we've published a paper, if people also want to Google to do this, we talk about principles of a conservative diagnosis, how we're gonna use fewer of these tests. And um, actually one way is to actually have continuity of care so the doctor knows the patient. Patient comes into me, they're complaining of pain from head to toe. I've, I'm gonna see patients tomorrow morning. I have three patients who go to the emergency room and, and when they do, they get all these scans. But I, I know these patients well. They have a lot of chronic pain and, and other issues. What I'm saying is uh, a system where your care is not disrupted by losing your insurance, by you know the employer switching to a different plan that's out of network, these are things that are actually going to help us make better decisions. Dan? Well, I mean, I think if, if we only have a limited amount of political capital and political energy that we're going to dedicate to healthcare, I'd actually be much more enthused about a big push in Congress to have a primary care-centered system instead of trying to make a jump from, from where we are all the way to Medicare for All. And this is part of what I was trying to get to when I said there was a three-card Monty game going on, because you can always shift the, if you talk, you can, the argument always shifts depending on, on, on where it's going. We can have exactly the kind of healthcare system reform that you envision in terms of how we orange it without going to a, a Medicare for All system, and it might actually be easier to get there in the next four to six to eight years 
than than to do put our energies in this in this other plan when there's stiff opposition. Yeah, I, I guess I'd argue that this gives us the leverage to create a framework to do just that. Um, there's an ability to really shape. Uh, medical education, uh, shape uh, reimbursement, uh, and do it in a way that is not secret. You know, most of the way these plans pay patients, uh, pay, pay physicians and practices are, are secret. Uh, not, you're not allowed to disclose this. We This would all be much more accountable, and really the public would be calling the shots, and especially people like you and me who recognize primary care is good would have more leverage. You know, one quick question before the break. Will I be able to keep my doctor? That's really important to me. I I research, research, research. I find the best. And will I be able to keep that doctor under a Medicare for all? I'll go first with Dan. With under a Medicare for all plan, I if everyone's covered by the same system, then I imagine you could you could keep your doctor and less part of the system. I mean, the devil's kind of in the details of the way that, that they make it It might rational. be just a rule that says, we'll get, you'll get who we tell you to have. Yeah, you might, I mean, you might, you might have it like that, or you might have someone say. So it depends on the rule, it depends on how you write the rules. Depends on. How's that like, well, how the rules The rules like are already rule? written, you can read the bill. There, there's no one who will be taken away from their current doctor. In fact, this is the only way you can keep your current doctor reliably without uh, having insurance switch, losing your insurance, uh, having a different network, having a different employer bids on a, a cheaper plan for you this year. So, frankly, this is the way. If you want to keep your doctor for long term, in depth, you know this this is the way to do it. The, the free choice, the, the this idea about in in network, out of network, in the plan, out of plan, all this goes away. I think we're shell shocked by President Obama saying you can keep your plan if you want, and we didn't, we couldn't. We we're a little skeptical, I think. But according to the rules as they're written now. I don't, I don't have to give up my carefully researched physicians. One complaint I get, gentlemen, is that there's a wait for service. We haven't really addressed that. That's the, big, that's the complaint I hear most often. And sometimes we get people from Canada calling, and they, they confirm that there's a wait. I don't know if you know, that's pretty anecdotal. But what do you think about that? Uh, would there be a, a greater likelihood of a wait for service. And Dan went first last time, so Dr. Schiff, go ahead. Uh, you know, this is one of these sort of great boogeymen, I would say, uh, thrown against single-payer systems. Uh, uh, people don't wait for, uh, there is, you know, wait for elective hip replacement. Uh, people don't wait for primary care. Now or under, under Medicare for All? I'm talking about in Canada, you were asking. Okay. There's, there's actually, there's, people are not, people talk about people rushing over the border because they can't get access to health care. Uh, most of the data, there's been a, a number of studies looking at people at border hospitals, uh, you know, here in the U.S. versus Canada. So most of the hard data really does not support that, uh, that contention. You can actually go there, uh, onto uh, the web and see what the weight is for various kinds of surgeries in Canada. There's complete. Uh, there's an effort to be completely transparent about this, and of course there are uh, unevenness and, and and problems with waiting. So that's that's one of the ways they're addressing it in a public system. So you can actually the the, the College of Orthopedic Surgery, the the uh, various uh, efforts to uh, show this. So and of course the public uh, seeing that is a way of making the politicians accountable for reducing those weights. 
So I, I think by and large, this is something that we, we always have to address. We will be having to address, but I think there's, uh, there's, there's ways that this can be done better in a better system. Dan, Obviously. what are your thoughts on the potential weight? Because that's the biggest complaint I get, the, the fear of the weight for service. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's a, a real issue, as the doctor said, more among the specialty care. So if you want your knee replacement, are you going to be able to get it when you want your knee replacement? If you, if you, if you need to have um, something that's very important to your quality of life but isn't sort of life-threatening, those are the things, particularly if, we, if, if we're successful in shifting more to primary care and, and, and less from the specialties, those specialty services are going to be harder to get. I think, just by nature, of that that very fact. So I, I think I think waiting, particularly for um, specialized care, is is something that that we need to look at. And also, you think it might be a problem. I think it might be a problem. And also, can you get it to specialized care, or is it going to be as as um, some judgment call as to, well, you know, Dan's walking fine. Maybe he doesn't need a new knee. For and this is based upon finite resources and you have to allocate or is it based upon this move to have more more primary care physicians than specialists or both i i i think it's mostly finite resources because i think if okay. if you want the system a one size fits all system work then you're going to have to apply some pressure i think on some of the the higher end stuff so dan do you think that a, a medicare for all would be better or worse for doctors would there How's the system now for doctors? It doesn't seem great. Uh, they have to spend a lot of time on getting people to pay their bill and dealing with insurance companies. Uh, do you think that this might be good for doctors and make life easy for them and therefore encourage people to become doctors? Or do you think it would work the other way? I mean, I, I, I suspect that it depends what kind of doctor you want to be and, and what sort of passion um, sort of brings you to medicine. If you wanted to do... If you really wanted to be a neurosurgeon, you might be fare less well under a Medicare for All system. If you just want to help people because that's what drove you into the setting and you don't have to make a judgment about what pays me more, then it, it might be better, I think. Uh, I mean, I defer to the actual doctor at the table. Yes, hello, actual doctor. What do you think? Well, doctors are getting burned out. It's, it's true in multiple systems. I, I was actually just a patient in the British health system less oh, wow. barely a week ago. Yeah, I had a heart rhythm thing while I was lecturing there, and uh, uh, I got pretty quick, pretty good service. Um, you know, obviously that was an urgent care mm -hmm. situation. Um, and, of course, no, no bill, no, nobody asked me about anything about other than my medical, uh, you know, symptoms and condition. Um, you know, I, I think... Uh, Canada struggles with this, but I, I think there there is there is uh, better uh, access. Everybody efforts to try and get pri more primary care there. Um, I, I was just looking. I thought I had a data here. Um, you take a disease like cystic fibrosis. This is a very specialized disease that really requires a lot of resources, a lot of specialists, um, a lot of more advanced uh, drugs that we use. The outcomes are better in Canada than the U.S. Uh, for these cystic fibrosis. Originally, it was just kids who had it. Now people are growing to adulthood. Uh, well, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, people live longer. They do better. Uh, uh, the, the outcomes in various kinds of surgeries are comparable or better in Canada. So I think uh, some of these fears, I, I think, are, are really not borne out with the actual evidence. 
Dan, we have about 30 seconds to, to respond or say goodbye or anything you want to do. Well, um, I just want to, I think, uh, thanks for, for having me. I think this was a, a great conversation. I really go back to sort of my original point, which is the goal is laudable. I, I don't think we can get there from here, and I think we should be focusing our attention on pieces of the health system that, that we can um, have a better chance of actually getting the change made. Doc? Where there's a will, there's a way. It sounds like you even have a will, so you can help us figure out a way. If you're a, an expert in health policy and transition, I'm, I'm sure you can help uh, lead this and guide this. Uh, I, I think the American public wants this. They're ready for this. The current system is unsustainable financially. It's, it's not working. Uh, I think it's a way of bringing Republicans and Democrats together uh, ultimately, if we could let people see the bigger people like Medicare, Republicans like Medicare uh, pa patients. So I, th I think we could translate that into something that's the source of pride and unity in this country and moving forward. Dan Delaney and Dr. Schiff, I, thank you very much. Pretty constructive. I'm, I'm really pleased. And thank you again for coming out so late. You two both have something to offer. Maybe you should spend some time together and, and hammer something out. Thank you very much for coming in again. Uh, Rob Brooks is our producer. Why don't you give him a buzz and uh, let me know how you feel on this topic. It's WBZ. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.